Hi, this is Jason. Thanks for stopping by our weekly teaching podcast from our Sunday morning worship gathering at Casper Alliance Church in Casper, Wyoming. This is uh, our 12th week in the book of Hebrews. Uh, we're running it all the way up to Labor Day. This week, uh, we had our we have an intern here for the summer. His name's Zach. Uh, you get a little introduction at the beginning of the talk. Uh, he's here from Navigators. Uh, he's been doing students and hanging out and just kind of organizing next-gen stuff. It's been a great time, so he gets to bring the word today. Hope you enjoy it. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can check us out at casperchurch.com or you can uh, download our app at uh, your app store and look for Casper Alliance Church, double C's, download it there, connect with us. Have a great week. Thanks for listening. Uh, some of you who've been around this summer may have seen Zach Roman around. He's been here doing some stuff, helping with youth and helping set up some rooms and some of that kind of stuff. And so with Jason being gone, he asked that he bring the message today. So I am super excited because I think he's really smart. So I'm excited to hear what he says. For those of you who don't know, Zach and his wife, Kelly, and their adorable son, Marshall, uh, they live in, well, they live in Hancock, Michigan now. But it's, it's a suburb of Houghton, Michigan. Um, they are on staff with the uh, Navigators uh, College Campus Ministry. And so they, they work there impacting the lives of college kids coming out of Michigan Tech University. And uh, he is going to share with us what he has today. So, son, father. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Um, yes. Uh, it's been super fun to be here this summer. I'm excited to talk to you guys this morning. Uh, I think it's funny. Jason feels the freedom to spend like six weeks on any given chapter. And then he says, hey, you have one week to do chapter 11, uh, which, by the way, is the longest chapter in Hebrews. Uh, it's, it's a good one. And it's one that you could spend months in. Um, but Having said that, we're going to kind of paint some broad strokes this morning, so we're not going to get super into the nitty-gritty of things, because again, like I said, that could take months, and I don't have months, I have this time right now. Um, but before I get into it, I want to pray, uh, so we're going to do that. Uh, Lord, thank you for this morning. God, thank you that we can all gather here and uh, listen to your word and to praise you and uh, sing to you, Lord. We just offer those things up to you, God. We need you for life. Uh, Lord, you are our only hope. You uh, are who we live for, God. And so, uh, Lord, I just pray that today is just a day to be encouraged and to worship you, Lord, but let our lives reflect the things that we claim and we believe here, God. Uh, so, Lord, I just pray that you'll be with me. Lord, I just pray uh, that I won't say anything you don't want me to. Lord, if I do, I just pray that it'll fall by the side and no one will even remember it. <laughs> uh, so, Lord, I just pray that you will help us grow more and more like you every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, okay, so again, as I said, this is a big chapter. There's a lot going on here. Uh, and it's, it's kind of funny because ironically, I'm not going to spend a lot of time in it. <laughs> uh, I think Hebrews 11 is kind of the culmination of all that the pastor who wrote Hebrews is getting at, right? He's been talking about a lot of stuff. So to kind of recap of what we've talked about so far, and again, I'm not Jason and I didn't do this series. So this might be a little bit different from what he said. Um, 
but, and I mean, we've been in this for a while, right? Uh, and so this might be review for everybody, but Hebrews is a lot about that Jesus is greater. That's the theme that kind of tracks through this book, right? Jesus is greater. He's superior to the angels is where the book starts, right? He's, he, everything is under his authority. His suffering and sacrifice were greater, right? That's a part of the thing about him being a great high priest. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Abraham. Uh, Yeah, like I said, he's the great high priest. He is the greater sacrifice. Um, That's really helpful stuff, right? Like this is really interesting and helpful stuff to understand about Jesus, about this person that we have all, well, maybe not all of us here, but that I have claimed uh, as my Lord, who I want to follow. But the question that I have is, why? Why is this pastor talking about all this stuff? It's a lot of stuff, right? I mean, it's an interesting opening to the book, right? To be like, well, Jesus is above the angels. Did you know that? You know, and it's like, okay, like, where are we going with this? Um, And so he has a purpose beyond just interesting biblical insight, right? He's not just laying down some facts for people to just know. He has a reason. He wants people to know something in order to live a certain way. Um, And so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. And so there's another thread in addition to uh, Jesus being greater that he weaves through this letter. And that thread is the thread of endurance. Um, So it starts in 2-1. So if everyone has their Bibles, I'll be kind of flipping around Hebrews. Uh, I have to apologize now. I never do slides. <laughs> I get overwhelmed by what all to put in the slides. And so I just save everybody the trouble of reading like a million paragraphs up on the screen. And yeah, <laughs> uh, and just, you can just listen to me, but I'll be kind of flipping all over if you want to try to follow. Uh, but it starts in 2-1. It says, therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. So the written purpose of this letter there is to remind the people of God why we endure to the end. So all of these facts and all these things that the pastor is saying about Jesus, what's true about Jesus has a purpose and it's why we endure because he's writing to people who are being persecuted. He's writing to a church that is struggling, that is being attacked by the world. And so he's, he's giving them the reason why they endure. And then scattered throughout the rest of the letter are statements like these. For one, says, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. 4.11 says, let, therefore, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fail, uh, may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Uh, 4.14 says, since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast the confidence. 6.11 through 12 says, God, for God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name and serving the saints as you as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish, but imitate 
imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Uh, 9, 26 through 28 says, but as it is writ, as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it, as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of the money, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting him. 10.23 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. That's 10.23. Uh, 10.32 through 39, this is the big long one, it kind of leads into what we're talking about. He says, but recall the former days when you were enlightened. You endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion in those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew yourselves had a better possession and abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have no need, for you have need of endurance, so that you have so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised for yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we were not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So again, uh, I, I wanted to give you guys those so that you just don't have to just take my word for it, <laughs> that there's this thread that goes through that, right? So what our understanding of who Jesus is should affect the reality of our lives, right? It has, it has an effect on who we are and what we do uh, in accordance. And in that last passage at the end of 10, uh, this pastor is reminding this congregation, the people of God, uh, that they, they are suffering, yes, but they're doing it for a reason. And that reason that he reminds them of is that Jesus is coming back and he won't delay. And I think we can, we can probably connect with that maybe even better than this church that he's writing to, right? This is taking place a couple decades after Jesus ascended to heaven, right? We're working on 2,000 plus years, right? Is he coming back? <laughs> you know, like we have to, we, we might struggle with that, right? Especially that statement that he won't delay. Um, and so the thing that he calls the Hebrews to here, the, this church to, is faith, right? Faith that though they are suffering and though it seems like it's taking a long time, he will come and he will set up his kingdom on earth for good. And so our job as the body, as the church is to endure until that time. And our ability to come to do that comes from our faith in what we know to be true about him. Which brings me finally to chapter 11, which opens like this. Uh, and this is where I'll mostly be working from. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, for the convictions of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. So, while Jesus being our great high priest and all of these things that we've learned about Jesus and who he is through the letter of Hebrews is the why we endure, the writer of Hebrews defines faith here because faith is the answer is to how we endure. Um, so let's talk about faith for a bit. So faith, 
is a pretty like religious word, right? Like you don't, you don't hear the word faith a lot in other contexts. You might every once in a while, but usually it's about religious things, right? Like we talk a lot about faith in church. Um, and so I think it's one of those words that we can often forget what it really, really means, right? And so, so I want to work with this verse, this first verse, because it gives us a really nice workable definition of what faith really is. Because I think sometimes we can think of faith as being like a mental exercise. Like, oh, I just need to have faith. I just need to believe that it's going to happen. And I just, and, and, and it will, and it will. And you like walk around life completely blind saying like, oh, like, well, I just, I just got to be more faithful. I just need to have more faith. I need to have more faith. But the facts are, according to this definition of faith, faith begins with reason. Okay, faith begins with reason, right? He says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Assurance and conviction are, are solid words, right? There's weight to assurance and conviction. Um, it's not ghostly kind of random uncertain things. It's sure and solid things. And then we take that things not seen, right? And we make that to believe, like we just have to walk around hoping that it all lands at some point, right? But let's look at the examples um, that we're given in chapter 11 here. So if you're kind of scanning, I won't read all of it. Um, but the first example that we get is Abel, the story of Cain and Abel uh, way back in Genesis, right? It says that Abel's sacrifice was better by faith. Uh, this one is a little bit more perplexing, I'll be honest, than the other ones. Uh, it's a strange story, uh, but I think when you look at it, it's a really good start to what he's talking about here. Uh, so God says to Cain, so, so Abel and Cain both give a sacrifice to God, and God likes Abel's sacrifice of a sheep better than Cain's. And so when, when Cain becomes bitter, that Abel's sacrifice is more acceptable, God says to him, why are you angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. So that exchange between Cain and God is really interesting because it almost seems like God is reminding Cain of an already set precedent, right? He's saying, you know, Cain, that if you do well, I will be pleased in you. But if you don't do well, sin is crouching at the door. This isn't a surprise to you. This shouldn't be a surprise to you that I've taken more pleasure in Abel's sacrifice. But he does. He, 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 he seems surprised, even though it seems like there's an already set precedent. So then Enoch, who, who is taken up with God, he was a man of faith and he was taken up with God. He gives us some more insight into this kind of faith. This kind of faith is trusting in what we know about God, right? Um, and so in verse six, it says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And then Noah begins another pattern of faith, right? It says, by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the word, the world, and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So 
Noah has faith in God, right? He has faith that when God says, I'm going to send a flood, I'm going to wipe out life on the planet except for you and your family. He's trusting that word. And then that's the pattern that we see going forward, right? Abraham is, is, is close with God, and then God promises him blessing, and he promises that he will uh, multiply uh, his children, right? And that he, he promises an inheritance. Um, and so it says, uh, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So going back to the definition, right, in verse one, ESV says, uh, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Uh, the New King James Version says, it's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And the New Living Testament says it's the confidence that we hope for, that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. So again, to reiterate, faith begins in reason. Faith without reason, without solid evidence, without, without assurance from the thing that we're having faith in is just being kind of silly, right? So like if I stand here before you and I have so much faith that I can turn myself into a giant lizard. That's not having faith. That's being silly because I have no confidence. I have no, I have no assurance. I have no evidence. I have no solid reason to tell you right now that if I believe hard enough, I will become a lizard. It's not going to happen. Faith is believing that when God says something, he will do it. And that's why I think in this, in, in Hebrews 11, the pastor begins his discourse about faith with creation. He reminds them, here, I'll read it for you. Uh, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So from the very first moment, God's word is reliable. It is sure. It will happen as sure as the universe was spoken into existence. So when we have faith, when we follow Jesus, when we do what he says we should do, we're not just blindly shooting into the dark. We're following the assured, confident word of God, that what he says is going to happen is true. Um, and that verse, that verse two, right? He says, what is seen, not made out of things are visible. That brings up another key part of these, these examples, which is the invisible part, right? So I'm not saying there is no uncertainty in faith. Like, I don't think Noah was like, yeah, pff, duh. You know, I'm just gonna do it and never once question what's going on. He took God's word and said, okay, I know what's going to happen. So I'm going to build this ark. And we know that Abraham and Sarah, who are both examples in this chapter, had their moments where they're like, listen, we're 99 years old and we still don't have a kid. I'm not sure. Abraham and Sarah both laugh at the idea of having children, right? But they lived their life as if that promise was going to be true still. And so there is uncertainty, but it's not complete blindness, 
right? They're, 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 what they're believing in is something that they can't see, not because it doesn't exist, but because it hasn't happened yet, right? So that's what the things not seen in this chapter are talking about, is it's, it's things that are going to happen, but haven't happened yet. So uh, going back to Hebrews 11, uh, starting in verse 13, it says, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking that, land, that the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared them a city. So what, what the writer of Hebrews is doing is he's giving a catalog of people and examples who trusted that what God said, despite the fact that they never saw the results of it. Not a single one, right? He goes through it. He goes through and he talks about, as I said already, Abraham. He talks about Moses. He talks about all these people. And then he gets to a point where he basically says, the list goes on and on, and I don't have time to talk about all of them. And then he just starts like saying a bunch of random examples, right? He says, Gideon, Barak, and Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, people resurrected from the dead, people saved from armies, martyrs, prisoners, all of which the writer says, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what they were promised. So again, the things not seen aren't mysterious to us. It's not when we don't know that they exist is that they haven't happened yet. Uh, they're unseen because they're not here yet, but we have the assured word of God that they will happen. Faith is being sure in the evidence of God's faithful promise that Jesus will come back and the conviction that we have the, that we have right, what we have right now isn't all we are going to have, but that we are confident and assured that something much better is coming. That's what faith is. So then the call of this chapter, the, the, the call to action of what the writer of Hebrews is calling us to is to live like people of faith. Like these people in this catalog of confidence in God, we should live like our hope isn't in the things around us, in the earthly things, in the things that we have right now. If that was true about the people in this catalog of faithfulness, they wouldn't have had any hope, right? He just described them as living in the mountains they're destitute, they are troubled, they are being killed and slaughtered. They don't have hope now, but they do have hope later. They have hope in the heavenly things. They have hope in the future. And so we have to live in the same way. We don't want to live like we can just go back to our homes, right? And, and that'll be good enough for us. Uh, we want to live like the picture that we get in Revelation 21 is going to happen. That should be the present reality of our every day, that God, that Jesus is coming back and he will set up his kingdom and evil will be washed away from the earth for the rest of time, for the rest of eternity, more accurately, right? It's going to happen. And people who have that faith, who, who make that a present reality in their life, live differently. So our job 
and I, I know Jason have said this before, is to give people a test, a taste of heaven, right? That we are to live like people who already are there, right? We're called citizens of heaven. Let's live like it. So, okay, here's, here's a good illustration. I didn't come up with this by myself. I'm just going to tell everybody this now. I'm going to give credit where credit's due. This is from a Tim Mackey uh, sermon. But I, I, I connected with it so hard, and I couldn't get out of my head, so I would have accidentally written it like I did come up with it, but I'm giving credit where credit's due. Uh, so there's this thing that happens. So I live in Houghton, Michigan. Uh, it's up in the Upper Peninsula. And this number I'm about to say, you are going to think it's an exaggeration, but it's not. Uh, This is true. It gets an average of 260 inches of snow a year. We got over 300 this year. It's so much snow. And so from September, mid-September through about mid-May this year, we got about 11 inches a week. So it's just always gray. It's always snowy. Uh, And so smart people uh, dress appropriately. They wear boots and they wear snow pants if they're planning on being out for a while. Uh, They wear heavy coats and gloves and hats, and that's just what you wear. It's gray and it's cold. Um, But then this other thing happens where around March, sometime March, uh, it starts to get to be like consistently like 34 degrees. And people are like, hot dog. It is springtime. Uh, I have this one guy in my ministry, his name's Austin, and the minute it peaks over 30 degrees, he starts wearing shorts. It's the, it's, he's like, this is it. We're here. We made it. We made it past the worst of it. I'm wearing shorts from here on out. You can't tell me otherwise. Uh, and, and I think that is a really good picture of faith, in, in, in faith the way that the writer of Hebrews is talking about here, right? Because Austin and these other crazy people who are wearing shorts and flip-flops in 34-degree weather are living as if it is spring already, right? Uh, and, and I think that that's such a good picture because, right, he looks out of place, right? He, he, he looks strange. Like, I am not there yet. I, I haven't been com- become completely uh, torn down by the Upper Peninsula weather yet to get to the point where I'm like, 30 degrees, time's for shorts. Uh, I'm still wearing a coat through May at this point. But he looks out of place, right? He, he's in, it, there's snow everywhere. It's cold. And he looks strange. And the facts are that if we live by faith, will also look strange, right? Because the kingdom of heaven is the opposite of what's going on here on earth now, right? We're going to look like people wearing shorts and flip-flops in 34-degree weather, but that's the point, right? So let's take an example, forgiveness, right? Jesus tells us very clearly that we should forgive. And not only that we should forgive, but we should forgive our enemies and we should pray for them and we should love them, right? On earth, right now, doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. There's no benefit to it, right? Why would I forgive someone who who purposefully and intentionally harmed me in some way? What gain, what earthly gain do I have from that? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. It doesn't make sense. But if I'm living like I'm in heaven, where we are immersed fully in the grace of Jesus, right, where all relationships have been uh, reconciled and healed through him, 
the only thing that makes sense is for forgiveness. That's what we mean by giving people a taste of heaven. It's all over Jesus's teachings. When you read the Sermon on the Mount, he's giving you this picture of what it looks like to live like you're in heaven among people who still live on earth, right? And so on the flip side, to be even more helpful for you to understand this, uh, to do the opposite, right? As Christians, we're supposed to be living as if we live in heaven, uh, sin also has no place. It's like if I were to stand here right now in this very warm church wearing snow boots and a heavy coat, you know, like it would look out of place here in this room, right? And so in the same way that we're supposed to give a taste to heaven, living in, <laughs> my dad's pointing at my grandma because she's wearing a sweater. Um, <laughs> uh, in the same way that we're supposed to live like it's spring, um, we have to live our lives as if the hope that we have, that someday all those evil things will be gone, is true. And to do our best, obviously under the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, to live out that truth, to live out of that thing that we have confidence and assurance in, that thing that we have faith, solid, heavy, true faith in. So we're... To tie everything together, uh, this is what I believe the writer of Hebrews is trying to say. And this is a kind of a recap of, every, of everything in Hebrews, <laughs> as I see it. Do not give up on the things that you know. You need to remind yourself that you're not following some ordinary man or even just an extraordinary man. The person, Jesus Christ, who we're following is the Son of God. He is God. He is greater than the angels. That's why he opens this letter that way. He's, he's not just some man. He's greater than the angels. He is God. Um, but we, we have to remind ourselves that because of him, because of his sacrifice, because of his loving duty as our great high priest, that we are redeemed and holy people who can have confidence in a God who has proven himself time and time again that his word is true. That when he has assured us that we have been cleansed by his perfect sacrifice, that we can have confidence to come into the holy places where we can, and we can take that to the bank. We just can live that as the truth of our lives. I believe that what he's saying is that the last thing we should do is cower and hide right? Hebrews 10 has a reminder to gather together, right? It has a reminder to live out boldly. And you'll see next week when my dad's preaching to, to run a race forward is the next thing to happen, right? The worst possible thing we can do is, a, is to remove ourselves from those who can remind us of the things and the truth of these things and allow ourselves to fall back into the sinful habits and ambitions of our former reality, Right? We need to be around other people who are dressed like it's spring. We need to remind ourselves that spring is coming, that Jesus is coming back. We need to be pressing each other on to endure forward. Because it's really easy when it's 34 degrees outside to think, I need to put a coat on. Right? And we live in a world that looks like winter. So we need each other. We can't 
give up meeting together. And, and, and so then finally, we should not throw away our confidence, but instead stir one another up to live confidently as those who have confidence, assurance, evidence, and conviction in the promised things to come. That's what I think that the, the writer of Hebrews is talking about here. And so I encourage you, I didn't read a lot of this, right? I kind of, again, broad strokes. I want you to read through those things and consider what we're talking about here. What it looks like from these people's example to live like people who truly believe that it's spring. So I'm going to pray to close us out. And I think we have one more song. Great. Uh, Lord, thank you. Uh, for everything. God, thank you that uh, you have given us assurance. Lord, thank you that you can give us confidence. Um, Lord, we uh, can look to you. You've given us your word. You have given us the testimony of others, Lord, uh, that we can know for sure uh, that when you tell us to do something, Lord, when you tell us to forgive, when you tell us to love our enemies, Lord, when you tell us to uh, be generous, Lord, um, that you give us assurance that that's the best thing, God. And so, Lord, thank you that our faith um, in you can come with confidence, Lord. Uh, So, yeah, Lord, we just pray Uh, I pray, God, that we can all go forward and live uh, like people who uh, 